protests erupting in Wuhan, tens of thousands of retirees taking to the streets. But it's not about COVID. It's about health benefits getting slashed. Now, clashes between the elderly and authorities spark anger and calls for action. <laughs> But any videos of the protests scrubbed from China's internet. Locals getting desperate in the face of rising medical costs and dwindling benefits. And authorities facing their own monetary woes post-pandemic spending. Will the two sides reach an agreement? Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. A mass protest breaking out in China's Wuhan city on Wednesday. It's the second demonstration in just a week as tens of thousands of locals gather to oppose cuts to their health insurance benefits. Crowds packed an entrance of a park, most of them elderly. <laughs> Two voices heard in the clip calling out, down with the reactionary government. Take the guns, come and fight. Other footage shows a heavy security presence walling up the demonstrators, with pushing and shoving between the two sides. This wasn't the first such outburst in Wuhan. A rally estimated at tens of thousands kicked off in front of City Hall last Wednesday. All these amid a groundswell of opinion against changes to local health insurance policy. Retirees saw their medical benefits slashed by more than two-thirds in February. The amount down from around $38 per month to only $12. Protesters say under the new policy, some frequently used medications have become unaffordable. Other question why civil servants are exempt from the policy change. The first protest ended with no response from officials. While the second was brewing, authorities stepped in. We planned another demonstration for the 15th, which is no longer possible. We are now under close surveillance. Otherwise, it might not be tens of thousands of people protesting, but hundreds of thousands or even more. Every community authority now has the participants under restrictions. We are all confined to our homes. We can't go out. The same day, a similar protest broke out in the northeastern city of Dalian against local health care changes. But related content was soon scrubbed from Chinese social media. The outcry speaks to the fiscal woes facing China's local governments under the Chinese communist regime. Over the past three years, the country has poured more than $20 billion into COVID-19 controls. The spending added to China's collapsing property market and slowing economy. A 30-year-old radio host has died in Chinese custody. He had been held there for his faith. Before we get into details, please be aware that some viewers may find the following footage disturbing. Peng Xun was a Falun Gong practitioner in southwestern China's Sichuan province. He died in a local prison in December. A video of his remains was recently shared online by his close friend after his family agreed to release the video. The video soon attracted attention on social media outside China. Before his death, Pang had been detained for over two years. Chinese authorities arrested him on his way to work in 2020 for his practicing of spiritual meditation system Falun Gong. The discipline originated in China and is based on the principles of truthfulness, compassion and forbearance. The practice has spread to over 70 countries worldwide. 
but China outlawed practicing it when it gained widespread popularity in 1999. After Pang's death, Chinese authorities said he died from hyperthyroidism, but the video shows wounds all over his body. The injuries on his body appear to be bruises and marks left by electric batons and binding, pointing to suspicions that he was tortured in custody. Peng's family and friends say he was in good health before getting detained. His family hired a forensic doctor to learn more about what really happened, but authorities prevented him from entering the mortuary. The authorities also required the family to cremate the body within 10 days. In a Twitter post, Peng's friend says he was a very sunny and handsome young man. He was the purest and kindest person I knew. The reason for his arrest was that Peng and his family practiced Falun Gong. Although I don't practice Falun Gong, this is by no means a reason for the CCP to kill him. CCP is short for Chinese Communist Party, China's ruling regime. Peng's case is one of thousands involving Falun Gong practitioners who've died amid China's persecution of the practice. Beijing's information blockade makes getting data out of China difficult. Because of it, the persecution's actual death toll is believed to be much higher. And in Canada, members of parliament hosted a screening of Eternal Springs this week. The film tells the story of a group being persecuted in China after its members tapped into Chinese state television to broadcast the truth about what's happening. The animated film was Canada's entry for best international feature at this year's Oscars. NTD's Jeremy Sandberg has more on the response from parliament members. The artistic expression of such a difficult circumstance is very overwhelming and beautiful. The award-winning film Eternal Spring depicts the Chinese communist regime's persecution of people of faith. It pieces together events that occurred in China nearly 21 years ago and tells the story of 18 Chinese citizens who managed to tap into state cable television to broadcast uncensored news about the regime's persecution campaign against Falun Gong practitioners. Liberal MP Judy Scro and Conservative MP Garnet Jenis hosted the screening on Monday. Jenis says the film vividly brings to light the struggle for freedom and justice. It's a, it's a very powerful and moving presentation of that, uh, that history. And uh, it should be inspiring for us today to do what we can to continue the work of trying to bring truth and information to people and, um, and uh, you know, help people to access information about what's really going on in China and around the world. Scro said she's never seen anything like it and that it was hard to find the appropriate words to describe it. But I am sure it will win every award possible, but this should be the beginning of many ways to tell stories, to tell stories to people about how things are, and the reality of the kind of suffering that continues to go on in China today and the persecution. The persecution against people of faith in China includes forced labor, torture, and live organ harvesting. Canadian MPs voted unanimously in December to pass a bill to create new offenses in relation to forced organ harvesting and trafficking. The film's animator, Da Xiong, says the film is not necessarily just about Falun Gong, but about the truth, and that even though the Chinese regime relies on lies and violence to maintain its power, the film talks about how to uncover those lies and bring truth to the people. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. 
A new report is putting a California congresswoman in the spotlight. It found that Representative Judy Chu held a leadership position in an alleged intelligence front group for Beijing. Let's zoom in. In 2019, Judy Chu became the honorary chairwoman of an agency. The organization is called Forums for the Peaceful Reunification of China. The organization supports Beijing's efforts to take Taiwan. A congressional research arm called the USCC has identified the agency as serving Beijing's intelligence service. The organization has coordinated closely with the Los Angeles Chinese consulate and the Chinese regime. Philip Lenziki is the author of the investigative news report. The actual organization itself is a subchapter of uh, a recognized United Front Work Department front group. And so these entities are China Council for the Peaceful Reunification uh, of China, which is just below the United Front Work Department. Uh, They're focused on um, opposing Taiwan, uh, Taiwan's independence and a number of other um, efforts. They've been identified by the U.S.-China Economic Security and Review Commission as a front group. At an event linked to the organization, Chu said she hoped to see China and Taiwan become one family. As for Beijing's United Front Department, it's tasked with expanding the regime's influence overseas. Now, United Front work more or less boils down to the management of non-party individuals. It's the Communist Party's um, effort to try to coerce and manipulate others who are outside of the party to achieve the ends of the party. And so they will target um, minorities, they will target uh, religious factions, et cetera, and so on. And this is not limited to those that are um, uh, ethnically Chinese. He listed as an example former Harvard professor Charles Lieber. He was convicted for lying about working with a Chinese state-run program and concealing his financial ties with a Chinese university. And this individual is not uh, Asian, and he was wrapped up in the Thousand Talents program, um, which was this uh, effort to um, bring technology from the United States and, and elsewhere to China. This program, uh, in part, is run by the Western Return Scholars Association, which itself is a part of the United Front Work Department. So they touch upon uh, all aspects and all facets of life. Back to Judy Chu. The congresswoman recently chose not to support a push in Congress to form a new House Select Committee. The initiative would focus on probing Beijing's influence and infiltration on U.S. soil. Where the party has stolen American intellectual property, technology, and industrial capacity, it is here at home where the party's extraterritorial totalitarianism terrorizes Chinese students studying at our universities and targets Americans of Chinese descent. Chu said the initiative could lead to anti-Asian violence. Lenziki called it concerning to have U.S. politicians involved in groups with ties to Chinese intelligence. Um, these are not benign entities. Um, we're seeing, if, if I would put it this way, if what we're seeing on uh, the surface level um, are these brazen interactions with organizations that are espousing uh, policies which are completely antithetical to what the United States and our allies uh, are trying to achieve vis-a-vis Taiwan's independence. If that's just what we're seeing on its face, we could only imagine what's going on behind uh, closed doors. It's unclear if Chu still works with the organization. NTD reached out for comment, but did not hear back before airtime. New laws are on their way down under. Australian Defense Minister Richard Marles revealing new legislation to stop former soldiers from training or sharing secrets with foreign powers. 
That's after reports of Western pilots getting approached by China to train its military. Calling the circumstance concerning, Marles told Sydney radio station 2GB that Australia must tighten up policies with defence, including through new legislation, adding that it matters that Australia's secrets are maintained. On the other hand, in response to Chinese spy balloons floating over North America, Marles said the Australian Defence Force had the capability to track any such device in Australia. Retired U.S. General David Stilwell says it's important to protect military secrets from China. It's hard to say exactly what these people are sharing, and the PRC is very good at extracting information, at dragging these people into giving away more and more and saying more and more of things that they actually shouldn't be talking about. The new laws come after a former U.S. Marine pilot was arrested in Australia. He was accused of helping train Chinese military pilots to fly fighter jets. Sharing how we do things both helps them anticipate what we're going to do and defeat it, but it also helps them get better at what they do. Because in general, uh, the PLA military has been very scripted and predictable in what they do. In Europe, the UK issued an intelligence alert in October after 30 ex-fighter pilots were alleged to have trained members of the Chinese military. Australia is ousting more than 900 Chinese-made security cameras from politicians' offices. Australian Defence Minister Richard Marles said the devices are getting removed to make sure that Australian facilities are completely secure. Despite not connecting to the internet, the cameras are in the spotlight over security concerns. Both the United States and Britain have recently taken similar security-driven actions. They fear that intelligence collected by the surveillance equipment could be shared with the Chinese regime. On the other hand, China accuses Australia of discrimination against Chinese enterprises. The devices are made by Chinese companies Hikvision and Dahua. The U.S. banned imports of gear made by both companies last year. That's over their reported involvement in suppressing the Uyghur ethnic minority in the Xinjiang region. Diplomacy between Washington and Beijing souring over balloons. Here's more. China says U.S. high-altitude balloons have flown into its airspace 10 times since 2022, including over its Xinjiang and Tibet regions. Now Chinese officials say Beijing will take measures against any U.S. entities that undermine its sovereignty. The White House denied the accusation. The development follows an incident earlier this month. The U.S. military shot down what it called a Chinese spy balloon over the coast of South Carolina on February 4th. Beijing says its balloon was a civilian research vessel mistakenly blown off course. Chinese officials described Washington's decision as an overreaction. Lawmakers are also responding to the situation, as questions remain about the craft's capabilities. But from the broader perspective of whether these things are here to conduct attacks against the U.S., there's no indication that that's the case. But again, you're right. I mean. How can I tell you not to worry about something if I can't tell you what it is? The American people need to know more so they'll have more confidence in our national security. Since the incident, Washington has also added six Chinese entities to an export blacklist. They're allegedly connected to Beijing's surveillance balloon program. What's more, U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken postponed a planned trip to Beijing over the balloon earlier this month. Stay tough on China. That's the message from the Virginia General Assembly. On Tuesday, the state embraced legislation that, in addition to its TikTok ban, also bars the Chinese regime from buying farmland in Virginia. 
Senator Richard Stewart proposed the farmland bill. He cited concerns about China owning land near sensitive military installations and the possibility of U.S. enemies tainting food. The ban would allow the state to invalidate property transfers to anyone acting as an agent of China or other foreign adversaries like Iran, Cuba and Russia. Meanwhile, another senator speculated China was using spy balloons in lieu of real estate agents to identify potential land deals. Back to social media platform TikTok, Virginia issued an executive order banning the short video app from state-owned devices in December. The bill has passed both the House and the Senate. So far, at least 25 states have banned TikTok on government devices. Coming up, does the media present a true picture of the state of the world? And does the answer involve a largely secular view of media staff? We recently sat down with Paul Marshall, distinguished professor of religious freedom at Baylor University to find out more. His remarks after the break, here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Is our world religious or not? And do we get the real picture of it from journalists? We recently sat down with Paul Marshall, Distinguished Professor of Religious Freedom at Baylor University during the International Religious Freedom Summit in Washington, D.C. to find out more. And Paul, with the pandemic in China especially, how has the human rights or religious freedom community been affected? Has it worsened or maybe have more people turned to faith from what you've seen? Certainly the restrictions uh, because of COVID um, hit the religious communities hard. They got closed down in a very draconian fashion. Uh, perhaps even, uh, that's true of the society at large, of course, but they're even more so. But it's hard to separate that from the sort of general background of increased repression over the last 10, 15 years, uh, particularly when she has been in power. Uh, you've had that you know, continuing repression of Falun Gong, Falun Dafa. Uh, then you know, that new trend with the repression of the Uyghurs. Um, continuing repression that to suffocate, destroy sort of Tibetan culture. And then with the, uh, with the Christian churches, probably the largest religious minority, maybe up to 100 million, um, you know, restricting those, seeking to close down any independence, um, arresting pastors who won't toe the party line, demanding that churches have pictures of Xi inside them instead of pictures of Jesus. So it's hard to know whether the COVID was just a sort of continued that trend or it was a blip, but certainly um, religious repression in, in China now, I think, is, is the worst it's been since the 1970s. And Paul, speaking of independent observers, I think you have a book uh, from 2009 called Blind Spot, like when journalists don't yes. understand religious persecution. Yep. So tell us about that. What are you seeing? The um, journalists tend to have a secular mindset. Uh, needn't be personal. They could be a believing Christian or a Buddhist or whatever. But in their work, in their profession, religion isn't really a part of it. And there's a tendency to think that when something is apparently religious, 
we should look for the real reason, and the real reason is underneath. It's, it's economic, uh, or it's political, or it's just a power struggle. Now, we've got to be honest, a lot of things which claim to be religious are power struggles. People who claim to have a major theological dispute just don't like each other, or one wants to be number one. So that, that can happen. But it's taken as a systematic reading that uh, religion is an epiphenomenon. It just sits on top. The real dynamics are underneath. We're finding this, for example, well, in understanding China. I mentioned that the Chinese take religion seriously. It, it can overthrow governments. Um, uh, one famous example was with um, Iran. Um, before the Iranian Revolution, before the Ayatollah Khomeini came in, and we discussed this in that book, Blind Spot. And um, uh, one theorist, Edward Lutwak, very good international relations theorist, suggested, this is before the revolution, suggested to the CIA that they should study the ideas of the Ayatollahs and the Grand Ayatollahs, because these seem to be the major figures behind what was going on. And the CIA turned that down. It would said it would be mere sociology, whatever that means. Uh, as far as the CIA was concerned, the major powers are sort of the merchants, the big industrial classes, the military. Well, the students might, might be doing that, workers and so on. But you know, a bunch of crazed clergymen had no effect. and. Um, so they, they were totally ignorant of, of what happened and didn't expect the revolution. Um, to give, give the example, you, uh, uh, a major factor there was that um, the Iranians took over the American embassy and took dozens of hostages. And this was big, many factors, but one reason they didn't take religion seriously, so they didn't think these ayatollahs were a threat. And we give um, boy a, a, a host of examples. That just one more you might remember in uh, in India in um, see about 2009. A bunch of terrorists hit Mumbai and they um, uh, killed people in the luxury hotels. A lot of Westerners and then went down this labyrinth of streets and attacked this house which was an Orthodox Jewish house. And they went in there, they tortured the people and killed them. And many of the media said there's you know, indication, no indication of a motive. It says, I'll tell you one, they were Jewish. And these were you know, sort of ISIS, Al-Qaeda type terrorists, and that's what they do. In a city of 15 million people, there's one Shabbat house. You're saying, oh, by luck, they managed to find it? Just so, no, they're hunting it up. And lastly, what is the cost to society if we get our news from the media, but reporters are maybe skirting around the religious aspect? Um, that we don't understand the world we live in. We live in a very religious world. When you take a survey, what religion are you now? 25% of people will say none. It's hard to know what that means, because quite a few of them go to church. Uh, or ones that don't are believers, but they're unchurched anymore. You know, people don't join things anymore. So they may be very religious, but now it's very private. 
you know, in American statistics, you know, half the people who describe themselves as atheists pray regularly. So this is a whole jumble as to, to what that means. But it, it's a pretty religious world, and outside of America it's a very religious world. And much of our media is, is missing it. So we're getting a distorted picture of the world. Well, Paul Marshall, thank you so much. Okay, thank you. That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus at ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. See you tomorrow.